Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast, where three editors, this time one replaced by a special guest, uh, take you around the art world. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined by Gallery's editor, Casey Lesser. Hi, Isaac. Hey, Casey. And the special guest referred to moments ago, content manager for the Art Genome Project, Madeline Boucher. Hi, Isaac. Hey, Madeline. So this week, Ai Weiwei is back in the news, if you ever left it to begin with, because he has four gallery shows running concurrently throughout New York City right now. Casey wrote a piece about it. I highly recommend uh, checking it out if you haven't already. It's on Artsy, but maybe you can walk us through what's, what's on offer this week or, well, past this week. Totally, yeah. So the shows opened on November 5th, and you have plenty of time to see them. They close December 23rd. Um, and there are two shows at both of the Mary Boone spaces, one at Listen and one at Deitch Projects. Last Friday, the press was able to kind of get a preview of all four shows, so I ran around the city seeing them all. I went uptown first to the Mary Boone show. The main installation is made up of 40,000 porcelain teapot spouts that have been kind of dismembered from the teapots and they're in this really perfect installation this ring and then kind of mimicking their gesture on the wall is this wallpaper that I made of the middle finger in these like kaleidoscopic swirls then downtown at that gallery space they have this huge tree made up from fragments of dead trees and that work used to be in Iwaiwei's studio in Beijing in his garden. Um, I realize that I'm just going on and on but there's a lot to a lot of area to cover right now. Cover it. So on the same street as the Mary Boone Chelsea space is Listen where there are these huge hulking tree trunks that have been cast in iron um, as well as another kind of really stunning wallpaper piece that he's done this time referring to warfare and the refugee crisis and that kind of takes us to the main show and, and, and I think the most ambitious and important show that's in New York right now which is at Deitch Projects. And this Deitch Project show I went to go see it yesterday. Um, it's kind of really stunning he he's taken i think hundreds if not thousands thousands of pieces of articles of clothing um left behind in a refugee camp and had them laundered and displayed in this kind of pristine eerily shopping mall-esque kind of fashion totally like if you if you didn't know better you would walk by the gallery and say oh they're having like a pop-up or oh mm-hmm. is there secondhand clothing in there for some reason but maybe you could tell us a little bit more about about the specifics of that exhibition and how it came together yeah so it comes from the time i and his team spent at the idomeni camp on the border of greece and macedonia um and he was capturing footage of the camp and meeting the people and talking with them. And, you know, in a, in a Q&A that's kind of in this printed matter that goes along with the show, he spoke about how the first thing that they noticed was that the people arriving in this camp were just taking off their clothes because they hadn't had a chance to clean them. Um, and they were just so dirty and wrecked. And then later, uh, the people were forced to evacuate from this camp and his team negotiated with local police to be able to keep the clothing. And how does this kind of, I mean, we, Ai has obviously been uh, engaged with the Syrian refugee crisis in, for, for quite a while, not without controversy. But how does this kind of fit into his practice overall? 
Well, Ai Weiwei um, refers back to his biography a lot when talking about um, the refugee experience. His father, who's a uh, poet and intellectual, Ai Ching, was banished to a prison labor camp in 1958, and that's where he spent the first 20 years of Ai Weiwei's life. So Ai Weiwei does consider himself to be a refugee and somebody who lived that experience and is now empowered to speak out on behalf of refugees everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say empower because he's been, this project apparently began with his time uh, while he was, while he's under house arrest, I believe, uh, Mm -hmm. by the Chinese government. So I'm I'm sort of wondering, you know, do do you sort of see connections between his experience as a dissident in China and his practice specifically, these sort of refugee pieces? His strategies are definitely very similar to his dissident work in China, where, say, after the Sichuan earthquake, he used backpacks um, to represent the school children who had been killed in shoddy construction that collapsed during that earthquake. In terms of how it conceptually connects to his work in China, um, he's, he's also very interested in representing the plight of children. And I think that's been a through line in all his work. Um, mm-hmm. from the, the Sichuan pieces um, now to uh, refugee camps. Yeah, um, and another thing that we didn't mention about the show is that it's wallpapered literally with, um, you know, the walls and the floors are covered with articles and notes and photographs from a WeChat channel that he kept with collaborators documenting everything to do with the refugee crisis. I'm curious about how this work kind of borrows from artistic strategies that really predate the refugee crisis. And, and Madeline, you have a, a master's in, in Chinese art, so maybe your expertise could, could come to use to answer this question. Oh, really, really talking me up here, I think. <laughs> what can <laughs> my, I say? My master's is in actually pre-modern Chinese art, but um, I can give it a go anyway, being a little bit familiar with Ai Weiwei's practice. Um, Using these accumulations of found objects is a strategy that he's employed in his political activist work um, for a long time now. Um, from you know the backpacks that he collected and arranged into these giant snake installations um, to represent the children killed in the 2008 Sichuan earthquake, to um, the rebar pieces, which are also coming out of um, that um, that disaster. He's really used objects as stand-ins for, uh, for people, for indexes of um, people's absence. So s- sort of talking about um, maybe how some of those uh, techniques manifest in the show itself. Uh, Casey, what, what, you know, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on what you, what you felt and what you experienced, because you were there with I himself, right? Yeah, I think what struck me, what really falls in line with what Madeline was just saying about eyes ability to kind of amass objects in place of people um and that was just so palpable in this show just you know having their actual clothing that they weren't able to take on with them in their lives and their struggles and so just kind of walking through these racks that have been put together meticulously and they they're all sorted by type of clothing and by size there's a rack full of teeny tiny baby jackets juxtaposed with all of these like thousands and thousands of messages and articles that Ai Weiwei has been, you know, it's just evidence of his research and his, um, the way he's really delved into this topic. 
And then in the back of the space, there's a video, which is IWA's team's footage from being in the Idomeni camp. And so there's actual very graphic and painful footage of the refugees going through these struggles of living in this camp. Then it cuts to once after they've kind of been forced to leave, it cuts to IWA's studio in Berlin, where he and his team are really lovingly taking care of their clothing. And on the press day, Aiwei was there, and he was kind of very serious and solemn. Jeffrey Deitch kind of asked him to say a few words, and he, you know, he just said, enjoy the show. He, he just mm-hmm. wants people to see it and kind of take time in it, watch the video, um, you know, try to understand what's going on. And and on the walls are a lot of are a lot of these sort of I don't know how big they are but they're very small kind of uh, photographs, papered uh, like a film strip basically, yeah. and um, you know I was walking through the show with our our producer uh, Abigail Kane and she said hmm, there's a lot of selfies in there and I'm wondering you know Iowa got in, has gotten in trouble for putting himself in the midst some say inappropriately. Uh, very very tangibly into the refugee crisis um, and I'm just sort of wondering you went to this panel where he kind of this issue was was relitigated with Tanya Bergera and I'm sort of wondering you know what he said yeah so I guess now two Saturdays ago he spoke at the Brooklyn Museum Tanya Bergera another really incredible politically um, engaged artist was his interviewer and she, of course, pulled up that photograph of Ai Weiwei um, kind of mimicking the pose of Alan Kurdi, the young Syrian child who died, who um, in this photograph caused a lot of controversy early this year. And she kind of asked him to react to that photograph, and he got very emotional. Um, so I think that, you know, this, this definitely it's all part of his activism around the refugee crisis and i don't i don't think he separates any of this work i guess it is a little confusing how the tree works fit in with laundromat which then fit in with the teapot works i totally want to get your take on that i think that what we're seeing is an artist grappling with having a very successful career but also choosing to dedicate one portion of their career to activism. So saying, you know, I have these Mm -hmm. four shows, I'm going to dedicate 25% to this really important issue. And, you know, there are three shows also because multiple galleries represent him uh, in in New York. And I think that's something that I I guess not so much now, but many years ago, I used to hear said about Ai Weiwei, where people say that even though he himself is an activist and his activities um, around like how he produces his works and going to these places are very obviously political people didn't see it in the pieces themselves Um, I would disagree with that in some instances but it kind of sounds like there's a little bit of that going on here definitely and this is actually a topic that Tanya Bergera brought up she was kind of like how do you qualify your career like being such a successful wealthy artist Um, like how do you you know balance that you know commercial side and this activist side and he kind of responded by saying um if i wasn't successful you know i wouldn't feel if i wasn't successful financially i wouldn't feel like i was being successful in my activist work you know i think i think as most of us are probably aware you know a lot of artists especially photographers are responding to the refugee crisis and numerous other kind of very horrific uh events occurring 
domestically and across the world. Ai Weiwei gets a lot of attention, um, both controversially for, for inserting himself into that photograph um, of the drowned Syrian infant on a beach. And, and um, I'm wondering, you know, why? What, what about his work threads that needle that, that kind of gets press attention? I think this show is kind of a contrast to that photograph mm. because it's visually stunning. It's not really in your face, but you can walk through it and have this emotional response to it. It's so, it you know, it pleases someone who has like a type A personality. It's <laughs> like it you, you walk through it and you're just like so much care has been given to these articles of clothing that belong to these people. And so you are able to kind of thread the needle in a way that you can go at your pace and you're not faced with the graphic kind of depressing side of this. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm of two minds about if that's the best way. I think there's obviously like a spectrum of art and like not at all art needs to occupy one spot on that. Like some art can sort of create a kind of visceral contrast by hiding the very brutal subject that it's that it's referring to like these works that the the as you said perfectly treated clothing kind of immediately reminds us that the people who wore it are being treated the exact opposite way but i also think that there's a place for art that that we'd rather look away from i don't know yeah i i think that paying attention um is when ai weiwei's work is best Uh, i think one of my other favorite pieces of his are the rebar pieces where he had these teams of laborers who were from sichuan province who were the people affected by the earthquake set to hammering straight these broken bent um pieces of rebar that were in crumbled buildings and you see them and you start to sort of get a sense of the scale of the labor that went into this. And it's immediately apparent it's obviously not I's own labor. That's not really the point. He mm-hmm. created a situation where people could reinvest in the things that were broken around them um, and create something that at on you know, the one hand is kind of futile. Like who needs a, a straightened piece of rebar that's been bent and broken but it's also art yeah so it obviously has a utility there and and a and a reason for being yeah and and i also think you know this show i I, there were like two guys sitting in like this kind of like officey space nearby like talking loudly and i just wonder how you know even though like you said it's not it's not maybe the same as like a photograph of a refugee camp in terms of the the direct way in which it shows the the horrible experiences. But, but I ha- I have to say that the film is the very film graphic. is that yeah mm-hmm. the film but is very it, graphic. But it's kind of like you you can choose to go that deep mm-hmm. into it. But I I mean I was just gonna say like even if you don't watch the film just sort of standing in this room day after day I don't know how because it's very haunting I mean especially the shoes which have obvious sort of parallels to the Holocaust um, and and like knowing that all these objects were left behind by real human beings and. I mean, it was, it's not exactly like it slowly begins to sort of bubble up the kind of horror of what you're seeing that's hidden in these like mass produced commercial objects that otherwise you might buy at like a, a Goodwill or like a store or somewhere like that. I guess you're always questioning um, what happened to this person who left it. You know, mm-hmm. did they discard it and move on? Like, yay, positive outcome or are they gone? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if we're thinking about outcomes, um, I, I would probably hazard that that this work isn't meant to just sort of inspire kind of quiet introspection. It's meant to inspire change in the outside world. So what are, 
this, I mean, it's at this point, it's so trite, but we have to just, I guess, keep asking, you know, what can something like this do? I mean, I think now more than ever, we all need to be aware of what's really going on with the refugee crisis. We need to, you know, read up as much as we can and, you know, really inform ourselves and make sure that we're not making decisions and opinions based on what public leaders are telling us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that now more than ever, apathy is our biggest political enemy. Um, and Ai Weiwei is, is trying to kick the apathy out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, I, and I really think, Casey, what you said about not, not listening to our political leaders is obviously going to be, especially about things like this, about you know, people from the Middle East is, is important. I mean, of course, I think that like art can always provide a really powerful counter narrative, but I just sometimes wonder to who, like yeah. to us who, <laughs> I mean, we, I, I don't think any of us voted for Trump. That That's sort of what gets me. Not that the message is bad or like if everyone saw it, it wouldn't work. It's that it's being spoken to people who maybe broadly could do more on a day-to-day basis, could go out and volunteer like we all probably could. But, yeah. you know, when, when it comes to who we pick at the, ballot box or like those sort of decisions maybe are already on board yeah you know to worry about preaching to the choir with political art is a real one especially in an art world that's elite and um very closed off to Mm -hmm. people who don't live in major urban centers i think that we should also consider it from the perspective of what does it mean for him to be spending time with the subjects of his pieces um I would hope that if these pieces are being executed well, like those people are benefiting from it mm-hmm. in some way. They feel that there's somebody who cares. Um, I, I know that in um, when he was in Lesbos, he was definitely like helping people and like he was like in the field. Yeah, like, and Le- Lesbos is a Greek island where a lot of refugees who are making the crossing across the Mediterranean uh, wind up either by choice or just by fate. Yeah, so I mean, I think he's doing what he can as an artist mm-hmm. the like the, the extent to which that's actually going to affect change is you know kind of uncertain i think there's an argument to be made for awareness for awareness's sake though because there is truly no chance that you are going to do anything about it if you're not aware mm-hmm. yeah and, and i think that to, to that point um the first step that that you know if you're in new york you can take is to just go to the exhibition don't just listen to this podcast and think that you you know about it go go check it out if you can and speaking of what art people should should go see uh time for for where we'll be drinking white wine in the art world this week so casey do you want to tell us uh what what you're going to be doing this week i am planning to go to the pepilati rest show at the new museum because it looks like a very happy show and i could use something a bit uplifting yeah, I can't say I was the, the biggest fan, but it is very soothing. It's a very, it's like a... And, and you can lay down. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I think that she makes a great case that all art should be hung on ceilings and consumed via lying on beds. <laughs> 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 Madeline, what about you? I have been meaning to go see Marilyn Minter at the Brooklyn Museum, and I think I'm going to do that this weekend and also catch the Iggy Pop still life yeah. um, thing that's there at the same time. Cool. I'm going to go to the Museum of the City of New York and check out, uh, they have two exhibitions. They have Gay Gotham, which is sort of a archival with a lot of photography of the the unseen 
queer history of the United of the, of New York and also activist New York, which I think is something particularly poignant right now about political struggle in, in New York City and how, how it was won and lost in various issues. So looking forward to that. That's all we have time for this week. Uh, thanks very much to our guests for joining us, especially Madeline. Thanks for the special appearance. Thanks for having me. And please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. See you guys next time. Our producer this week, as always, is editorial associate Abigail Kane. The theme music is by Broke for Free. Thanks for listening. <laughs>